Hey guys, happy Easter. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at the Christian Life Center. And if, uh, if I'm a new face for you, there's a good reason for that. Last several weeks uh, I've been absent and I just want to take a moment to kind of say hello, tell you I miss you. I miss seeing your faces and can't wait to see you in just a few weeks, I think at this point, guys. Um, look forward to that. And also, just kind of want to acknowledge the the strangeness of, of kind of the, the current times where we are right now, right? For the first time, I'm 39 years old, so this is my uh, 40th Easter. This is for the first time in 40 years. I will or 40 Easter's. I'm, I will attend Easter service on my couch in my living room in my home. And uh, don't worry, I'll still wear a bow tie and seersucker and pastels because um, the southern accent demands that I dress that way, right? But for the first time, that's uh, how I experience Easter. And right now, you're watching this through your phone or iPad or. You know, some kind of tablet or computer or television, and just want to just point out this, this strange world. None of us thought this was going to happen uh, a month ago, right? And yet, here we are, and I have no doubt that it has kind of brought out a, a, a range and library of emotions for you. And just want to acknowledge the confusion of all this. Now, one of the benefits of kind of pausing for a little while is I've been doing a, a lot less talking, a lot more listening, and a lot more observing. And so, I had the opportunity uh, to kind of observe uh, what's going on in our church and in churches across our nation and our nation as a whole and our cities and nations across the globe. I mean, churches across the globe, and it is a strange, strange time. And um, what I what I feel like um, it's become pretty evident. Now, what kind of want to call your attention to uh, today is that there's there's these competing forces, right? That are just just want you to notice right uh so it seems like uh, and i think this is accurate uh there's this looming force this power kind of maybe you can find it in the microscope you can't really see it out there but boy can you see the effects of it right this looming power that uh is in our grocery stores and in our hospital and maybe in our school halls or on our countertops and we're spending all this time with all this clorox and uh, bleeds trying to wipe out this little microscopic thing, right? This this virus that we can't quite see, but boy, does it have exponential um, eternal ramifications, right? All sorts of stuff happening. We know that if that thing, that thing that we can't quite see, but we can see the effects of it, invades our body, just a little bit, bit of it, right? It could do um, immeasurable damage or harm to us. If it invades our home, it could do some really, really terrible things to our parents or to our kids or to our spouses and um, it has gripped us with fear it literally has brought our nation to its knees and so we have that force and it's real and it's genuine and we're trying to sort through it and understand more and more about it find vaccines and find therapeutics to to deal with that no at the same time that this force is going on, let me just point out another force there's another force that's bringing nations to its knees. And that force, that power, it's in our schools, it's in our hospitals, it's in our neighborhoods, it's in the grocery stores. And that same force, that same power. Now, we might not be able to actually see it, but boy, can we see the effects of it. And if that little force, that 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 power invades our life, right? Invades our mind. It could... Uh, it could transform everything in us, the way we view the world, the way we view our families. If this little force, this little force could get into our homes, it could change everything. So we got this one power we can't quite see, but we can see the effects of it, right? Brought nations to its knees. And then we have this other competing power, can't quite see, but we can see the effects of it, that can also bring our nation, bring our church to its knees. And I would just say, if you're, if you're in a spot where you keep finding your eyes look towards this this virus, I would just say, is it possible that we could turn and fix our eyes on this different force? And that force I'm talking about is the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit. Not some random and personal power, but a powerful person, the third part of the Trinity, right? Uh, if we could focus on that, and that force, that power could invade us and invade our church and invade our homes. It could transform everything. And here's what's beautiful about that. In the scriptures, we find out that Jesus tells us that when two or more are gathered in his name, he is present, meaning his spirit, the spirit of living God is present with us. That's talking about when people gather for the sake of unity, gather for the sake of worshiping Jesus. And hear, hear me, for the first time in human history, 
we are gathered while we are scattered, right? Right now, you and I and people all across our, our community, thousands maybe of us, are gathered in the name of Jesus. But we're not in some building, so his presence isn't showing up in a church building. His presence, that power, is showing up in your living room right now. Two more gathered in his name, he is with us. So would you look and search for and seek, not this virus, but the spirit of the living God. And this is the last thing I'll point out there. This isn't the first time we've been in despair or worry or concern or hopelessness. Right? 2,000 years ago, Jesus dies on the cross and our world is dark and broken and shaking. And it is the worst of the worst of despair. And while people are in their despair and their worry and their anxiety, while that was going on, God was doing his greatest work yet. You know what he's doing? The spirit of the living God was re-entering back into Jesus's body and that same spirit was it coming into his body and bringing death back to life that's what we're celebrating this resurrection sunday and what's about to happen is pastor gary is going to open up the bible to john chapter 20 and teach you this beautiful story so grab your bibles grab your notepads grab your pen and seek the lord in this while he may be found and that same spirit you're going to hear it, that same spirit that invaded jesus's life and conquer the grave. That same spirit's available to you today. So may we find that spirit when we set our eyes on the spirit of the living God. And may that spirit transform our life and bodies, minds, and homes, and bring our nation, our nation to its knees. And may God get the glory and may it all be for our good. I miss you guys. Can't wait to see you in a few weeks. Happy Easter. Hey, it is really great to uh, be able to see Josh in video. We are really, really looking forward to him being back and um, appreciate his leadership. And so it's great to be able to actually meet here on Easter. And part of what Josh did was actually set it up so that we could do this kind of thing. And so um, we're really grateful for that. Um, my name is Gary Arntasoni. I'm one of the uh, pastoral staff here. And um, today we gather to really... Um, celebrate Easter, the fact that Christ has risen, he is alive, um, he is resurrected. And we were talking about this, in fact, the opening video, which really was a great video, talked about how everybody was locked down in their houses that Easter morning and full of their lives. I mean, after all, the Romans had hauled away Jesus, they nailed him to a cross, left him to die there. And early in that morning, um, Mary Magdalene actually snuck out. Uh, all she wanted to do was somehow be near to Jesus. Um, after all, he was the one who had changed her life. And so she was going to find him. And one of the things we're going to learn today as we're looking at this resurrection story is that actually hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. So would you join with me in prayer as we um, begin our service today, as we begin the sermon time? So God, we give you thanks for your love and for your goodness and grace, and we pray that you would um, just meet each of us here today. This is a different kind of Easter than we're used to, um, but we know that even in the midst of that, that doesn't surprise you. You're aware of everything that goes on in life and in our lives, and so we just ask you to be present today for each of us as we're, um, as we're coming in to watch this service and to be a part of it. Uh, may we again um, experience the resurrected Christ in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a friend who um, one day had gone to Starbucks, and he was um, actually leaving the parking lot, and he opened, you know, the lock on his car door, put the key in the ignition, and when he did, all of a sudden his horn just started to blare. I mean, it was doing it totally on its own, and it was both loud and it was obnoxious. And it wasn't the kind of, you know, repetitive beep of the, uh, the uh, uh, panic button, but rather it was just a blaring loud horn, like he was sort of laying on it and, you know, really making this loud sound. And so what happened was, the staff at Starbucks came to the window to see um, if he was stealing the car. People in the parking lot started thinking, you know, hey, what's wrong with that guy? And so he quickly, quickly put the car into gear and he drove it to another part of the parking lot and got out of it. But even with the car off, the horn was still going and he couldn't figure out what to do about it. People were gathering outside. They were coming to see who was sitting, what fool was sitting in his car, blaring his horn um, for what appeared to be no apparent reason. 
And so people just drove by, looking at him, wondering what was going on. And then finally, he was able to get it to the dealer, and he found out that one of the wires to the steering wheel horn had actually shorted out, and that was the problem. But the illustration of this is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the great announcement of God overcoming the limits of human existence. It's actually the great horn that's blowing throughout all of creation. The fact that God has now done something that's different that could never, ever be done before. And so people will come out on Easter. Um, I hope that you've come out. I know that you're here. Um, but they've come out to investigate what all of this horn blowing's about, this big ruckus. And under normal circumstances, churches would be full, pews would be filled, because when people hear that horn blowing, they come out of obligation sometimes, or sometimes they come out of a bit of curiosity or maybe even genuine wonder. But others come sometimes because it's just really sort of a nuisance, and they wish that it would just go away. And yet the story of Easter is that each year we gather around this peculiar idea that a Jewish rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus, the one who was called the Son of God by his early followers, was raised from the dead following a brutal crucifixion at the hands of the religious elite and the Roman authorities. That's what all of this noise is about. It's this extraordinary good news we gather around this morning, the great horn of history that continues to blow and continues to demand our attention. So this morning, we're actually going to move through the Gospel of John, which focuses on a woman known as Mary Magdalene. She's also known as Mary from Magdala. She was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and one of the earliest disciples. And Mary makes it very clear that she is going to follow Jesus to the very end. In fact, even to the place Golgotha, the place of the skull where he was crucified. She will stay there with him until he takes his last breath. And then she will prepare his body a proper burial and help lay him in the tomb. And so it's early, early that Sunday morning that she sneaks out. She's visibly shaken. She's crying and she's confused, but she's there because she loves Jesus and because he is her Lord. So we're going to take just a moment now. I want you to be able to see this KZ video, and so um, we're going to put that up and uh, gather your family around and look, watch this video of the Easter resurrection for a second. On the third day after Jesus' death, Mary Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb, and it was still dark, and she saw that the large stone at the entrance had been moved away. Mary ran to Simon Peter and John. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him, she said. Peter and John ran to the tomb. John looked inside and saw the linen clothes lying there. Then Peter went into the tomb and saw the linen clothes too. The cloth that had been around Jesus' head was folded up. John believed that Jesus was alive. Then Peter and John went back home. Mary stood outside the tomb and cried. When she looked inside, she saw two angels sitting there. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him she said. Then Mary turned around. Jesus stood in front of her, but she did not recognize him. Jesus said, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary thought Jesus might be the gardener, she replied. Sir, if you have taken Jesus away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Jesus said, Mary, Mary turned around and said, Teacher, Jesus sent Mary to tell the other disciples that he was going back to the Father. Mary did what Jesus said, and she told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Meanwhile, some of the guards from Jesus' tomb went into the city and told the religious leaders everything that had happened. The leaders got together and made a plan. They gave the soldiers a lot of money and told them to lie about what they saw. 
Say that Jesus' disciples came in the night and stole his body while you were sleeping, they said. So the guards took the money and lied about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. God was pleased with Jesus' sacrifice and raised Jesus from the dead to reign as king over all creation. Jesus provides salvation from sin and the promise of eternal life. So this resurrection story that's being told, it has a way of moving us from simply seeing what's going on. Um, the author, John, wants to actually help us believe what's going on. So we're going to look at uh, three different points in this. And the first one is really this sort of wild run where the disciples realize somebody's moved the stone and they all go out to try to figure out what's happened there. But then we're going to focus in on this devoted disciple, which is known as Mary Magdalene. And then finally, the last part of this is we're going to talk about what does it mean to be uh, those who are sent, because God sends us also to be a blessing in the midst of uh, everything that's going on in our world. So with that said, um, we're going to start with actually John chapter 20, verse 1. So listen as I read the scripture. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid, in, laid him. So there's three time references that actually begin right here at the very beginning of John chapter 20, verse 1. And they stand as sort of a gateway into the chapter. It says that it was the first day of the week. It was Sunday. It was very early in the morning. And while it was still dark outside. And so the writer is really saying, this is a whole new time that's beginning. And Mary Magdalene is actually a solo pilgrim. She's under the shadow of the cross. And the church today, this morning, is down to one person. She's the only person, actually, that's identified in the other Gospels as being present at the Sunday morning tomb. And part of what that begs is the question, well, where are the male disciples? What's going on with them? But whether Jesus is dead or alive, whether Mary comes imperfectly believing or not, she wants to be as near to Jesus as she can. And so she gets up that morning and she heads out to the tomb. She has this kind of passion for Jesus, which is what he really wanted most in his disciples, a kind of abiding and sticking with and hanging in there. And so she's committed to this relationship that she has with him. She longs to be near him even now while she believes that he is actually dead. So it's still, for Mary, dark on the outside as well as it is on the inside. But she faithfully makes her way to the center of history. And when she gets there, she realizes there's something wrong, and she knows it. So she runs to get Peter and John. Now Mary's running actually captures her emotion. I mean, why doesn't she just stay and sort of investigate the tomb? I mean, why didn't she go down in and see what was happening? And I, I think probably because... Uh, you know, unexpectedly open tombs are actually a little terrifying, and they're not normal objects of our study. But Simon Peter and the beloved disciple John, who actually is the disciple who writes the Gospel of John, um, they come, become Mary's first recourse. She goes to get them. So continuing then with verse 3, and we're going to look at 3 through 9, the story continues. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that said he must rise from the dead. 
So Peter and this other disciple, who we actually know to be John, he's the author of the gospel that we're in right now, um, they set out and they make their way to the tomb. And you have to wonder, what could they have been thinking? Did, did the thought ever cross their mind that maybe he's been raised from the dead? We don't really know. But we do know that ordinarily people do not rise from the dead, so probably they're doubtful and fearful and probably and understandably overwhelmed in their thinking. But we've also learned as we've been in this gospel and in this series that when it comes to Jesus, there's nothing no such thing as ordinary. So John and Peter are running together, and John outruns Peter. He gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't just get to the tomb first. He also is the first one to believe. And so the gospel writer says that John, stooping down, he looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings and resting there, but he didn't go in. So could this simple first sighting of this simple evidence be the seed of resurrection faith that comes to birth in this disciple John. And, and why didn't John actually just go right into the tomb? I mean, perhaps it was a sense of awe or respect or even a sense of reserve. And then Peter arrives, and in usual Peter fashion, he just barges right in. He he never is one to wait for ceremony. He's like a bull in a china shop. He just goes right in. He sees what's going on, but he also sees more than John saw. There's this strangely detailed description of the folded headcloth, and, um, and the fact that it's in a little different location is a bit surprising. So there's a contrast here. John is faster to get there and to believe. And he invites us to actually consider the evidence, to take a rational look at what's going on and then sort of figure out for ourselves what it is we believe. So John says it's this. Here's the combined evidence. It's the removed stone, the empty tomb, the linen wrappings, the folded separate headcloth. And John does the math, and he believes. He believes that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that means several things for John. It means that Jesus really is Lord. It means that death really is defeated. It means that everything that Jesus said is true. And so this becomes the single most important and astonishing event in all of world history. So this paragraph that begins with the rising sun and a faithful woman concludes with the witness of the first believer in the resurrection, but it's still housed in a kind of mystery and suspense and a sense of incompletion. <laughs> and then verse 10 just simply says, and then the disciples returned home. And so they went back home, but, but Mary didn't. Mary hung around. You see, Mary is really going to be the first witness to the resurrection. And it's very peculiar and odd that as a woman in the ancient world, um, it usually warranted two different witnesses, and usually a female witness to anything was discounted. Their testimony was not highly regarded or even oftentimes admitted as evidence. But the fact that all four Gospels attest precisely to women as the first witnesses to the empty tomb shows the newborn church's confidence in the credibility of the fact of the resurrection, but also its deep respect for women. The initial female witnesses in all four Gospels solidify the credibility of the church's faithfulness and their faith in the resurrection, but also the fact that they believe that this is a factual thing that's happened. And so John has been documenting evidence so that we can believe but he also invites us to actually enter into this as well, to take a look for ourselves. And so here's some of the clue. Those that would find the knowledge of Christ, John says, should stoop down at the tomb and look in with a humble heart and submit to what it is that God is up to. So consider the evidence. 
But we're not done yet because we're actually coming to the pivot point in this whole story. And it begins now with verse 11 as Mary is outside the tomb. So follow with me again, verses 11 through 13. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over and took a look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So Mary, she stays right there, just outside the tomb, and she's crying and she's crying. She is not leaving this place. She is sticking to Jesus, even if she believes that the man inside is dead. So Mary not only cries in despair, but she actually makes a move. And I think this is one of the things that, you know, we learn to do, that sometimes we find ourselves overwhelmed with grief, but at the same time, we're compelled to do something. And so she bends over and she looks inside. And now where grave clothes once marked his disappearance, suddenly there are angels sitting there. The angel asks Mary, you know, why are you crying? It's, it's a caring and a compassionate question. And so she says to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. Her words communicate this. Where is Jesus? He belongs here. Please don't disrespect even his dead body, nor his rightful presence in the place. And she knows deeply that there's something wrong here. And so the story continues now in verse 14 through 16. It says that when she said, had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary doesn't know who it is that she's talking to, but it's really little wonder. I mean, her vision's clouded by tears, swollen eyes, and swollen heart. It's the early morning hour in a shaded garden. And the simple fact that one doesn't expect to actually be talking to a resurrected person. And so John begins to let her know that Jesus is the one who's speaking to her. He says, woman, why are you crying and for whom are you looking? And she replies, if you've taken him away, please tell me where you put him so that I can go and get him. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned to him and in Hebrew said, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see, it's in that instant when Jesus calls her name Mary that everything changes. She this is the shortest sermon and the most passionate and dramatic sermon in the Gospel of John. It symbolizes that this idea that the good shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name, and his sheep also know their voice. Mary, he says, and she says, Teacher, it's you. This one word, Mary's name, spoken by the most significant person she had ever known, that one word, changed her whole life she turned and she looked him full in the face and the two seconds that it took for her to turn the world shifted on its axis history moved from bc to ad you know a second before this turn there's a woman here she's in the deepest kind of human despair she's in the agonizing presence of unconquerable death but in a second she's now in the deepest possible human joy, in the presence of the death-conquering figure, central figure of all history. A second later, everything has changed. Everything has moved from death to life, from despair to hope. Jesus was risen, and because of that, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. And so this rush of joy that came over Mary must have been unimaginable. She is the first person ever to experience the presence of the risen Lord. So when she turned to him 
At this point, human history took a turn for hope. For death had been undone. It was conquered, defeated. What started as weeping and panic moves to recognition and commissioning. From not knowing where Jesus' body is to knowing fully that he has risen from the dead. And so now comes this point of mission for her. Jesus said to her, verse 17 and 18, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So she recognizes him. She lunges for him. She embraces him in a kind of unastound or astounded, uncompromised joy. They embrace, but Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me. It's, it's now a new time for the church. Jesus is not some kind of untouchable ghost. He's real and an affectionate human being, completely raised back to physical and living humanity. But he still says to her, please let me go. He has something important to tell her. If all that Mary does is hold on to him, then she's overdone a good thing. But it's also the same thing for us. Because if we don't also somehow let go of him so that in obedience to his call, we can be useful to him by going and living out this new resurrected life in the presence of others, then, then we also have gone too far. And so the question really that this passage part poses is this. Can she accept what is going to happen next? Or will she really want it to be like it was before? But Mary doesn't fall victim to reducing the gospel. She doesn't somehow reduce Jesus, hold on to him. But she accepts the change that this resurrection is going to make. It's the question of the resurrection is not excuse me, the question of the resurrection is not about what happens if you were to die tonight. Really, the question is more, what happens if God gives you a life to live? You see, that's what the resurrection is all about. It's about being given life in its fullest. In fact, that's what Jesus said. I've come that they might have life that is just bubbling over and full. So we're called always as disciples to live into the superabundance of God's future, which is actually breaking into the world today. We're called to be witnesses and foretaste of the resurrected Christ, who is the king that is, has a kingdom that's not of this world, which makes it peculiar oftentimes and odd in this world. And so like Mary, we are called, we are sent to bear this message into the world by how we live and what we say about God, how we talk about what it means to be human, about all of creation and the purposes and mission of God to reconcile humanity and creation to God's very self. We are and serve as a provisional demonstration of what life was meant to look like. This, this friends, is the meaning of resurrection. You see, the Christian faith is never just Jesus and me. It's always Jesus and mission, Jesus and other people, and Mary's first post-resurrection responsibility and privilege is, go and tell my brothers what has happened. You see, earlier in this chapter, Mary ran from this seemingly violated tomb in terror, but now she runs to spread the good news. I have seen the Lord. He is alive. He is not dead. And so we're going to just pause here for a second. I want you to think about this. What might it have been like to actually hear Mary's story from her own lips. I've got a little video clip that's a rendition of that, but try to imagine what it would have been like to be in Mary's place, having just experienced who Jesus Christ is. Let's watch this together. It was quiet when we approached the tomb. Days before, there was noise wherever we went crowds cheering, sometimes yelling. But now, in front of his tomb, just silence. 
I had gathered all my spices and oils intending to anoint the body. But when I got there, he was gone. Jesus changed my life. Ever since the day that I met him in Galilee, he rescued me. And I followed him ever since, all the way to his death. But there was the tomb, and it was empty. My heart broke into a thousand pieces. I turned and there was a gardener, and I asked him if he knew where they had taken Jesus' body. But I recognized it was Jesus. <laughs> it was my Lord. He taught us that his sheep would recognize his voice, and I knew him. I knew him the minute he said my name. I dropped to my knees. What else could I do but cling to him? I never wanted to let him out of my sight. But no, he had different plans for me. He wanted me to let the others know about the good news. I ran as fast as my legs would carry me, shouting like an excited child. <laughs> he did it! He did it! He, he really did it! Yes. <laughs> to think that I had come to an anoint a dead man, and I left with proof that he is the overcomer of everything. I, all of us, can never beat fear, Sorrow, sin, definitely not death. Death. He beat death. <sighs> Who do I say that he is? I know who he is. Oh, I know who he is. He said that he would rise. And he most certainly is risen. He is the savior. He is, he is the one true God. So what does all this mean for us? Well, it means that while we share in Christ's resurrection, why, while we ourselves will be raised in glory to live with God forever and ever, Easter Sunday means more than that. It means living out a resurrected life every day of our lives. Jesus says to Mary, don't hang on to me. It, it's his time to ascend in glory. But there will always be for us a resurrected life to be lived here on earth amongst our brothers and sisters. So resurrection not only validates for us everlasting life when we die, but it validates for us the life of Jesus lived fully in us today. It is clear in this encounter with Mary that something's changed. In fact, Jesus says, I'm now going to my God and your God, our God. I am now going to my father, your father. Uh, the followers now have the same relationship with God that Jesus had. And these disciples are welcomed into a whole new world. It's not only to Jesus, given to Jesus. It's given to Mary. It's given to all the disciples. And it's also given to us. So Mary Magdalene becomes the first post-resurrection preacher, the first post-resurrection apostle, sent to tell all of what God has done. So what does this all have to do with us? And how do we live into this sense of a resurrection life? Well, I think one of the things that 
I always go back to is Jesus' words when he actually raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and the Mary and Martha, you know, were talking to him, and he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. So one of the things that I realize in my life and that I think you realize also is that God's never surprised by our struggles. God understands that living in this world is a struggle and, and God actually comes to dwell with us and be with us in the midst of the struggles of life. So here's a couple of questions. Where do you struggle in life? Because you see, it's in those very places where Jesus wants to give you resurrection life and power. So maybe today um, it's in the midst of finding that you have relationships that are hurting. Or maybe it's been for you a career um, that has grown stiff and you sort of had this idea of where you wanted to go, but it's sort of dead now and you can feel the deadness of that. Maybe it's been the fact that um, the fun in life just seems to be sort of wearing out and you feel oftentimes like you just sort of have one foot in the grave and you're not sure how you get out of that. Maybe you find yourself overly busy or too stressed out or perhaps you have the wrong priorities right now. Maybe lately for you it's been the burden of financial pressure. You lost your job and you find that you worry about that every day. Um, you wake up worried about it. You go to bed worried about it. You're not sure what's going to happen. Or maybe it's because you've made some bad decisions along the way. You've made some mistakes. And you keep asking yourself, how did I ever end up here? And you can feel sort of the, the death of disappointment and regret, of fear and of anger, failure. And you begin to wonder, you know, has God lost track of me? But here's the catch. And it is a catch. It's often when we're feeling a certain kind of deadness that God does the best work in molding and shaping and reshaping our lives. So you find that when all you have is God, God is enough. When people look back on their lives and, and you ask them, you know, what was the season of spiritual growth for you? When did you grow? Well, the number one answer is it was during times when things turned out different than I had planned. You see, friends, the fact is that we lack the power to change ourselves. We lack the power to solve our own problems. We lack the power to shake off our own deadness. We need a power that is greater than ourselves. But that's the good news of Easter. God can reach into any life and bring around resurrection. You see, the, me the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you are now invited to come and belong to it, to be a part of it. And so Paul writes and says, you know, it is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that actually conquered all the deadness of his life that actually is available to those who believe in him. So Easter changes everything. It means that death is not the end. It means that Jesus is alive, he's not dead. It means that he's not just a figure of the past, but he's actually present here with us. He's right in our midst, still a very real part of our company. The impossible has happened, and it's all God's doing. It reminds us that God has entered into life as we know it with the power to change our world and also change our lives. And so Easter becomes this time when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present and bringing about new life for all of us and for all creation. And so this resurrection hope that we live. It calls us to go into the hard places of life, to bring hope to others, to go where people are hurting, to go where death is reigning, to proclaim and practice a resurrected life, to continue the work that Jesus started, to be his hands and his feet, to free people from the graves that they've dug for themselves, to help them get out of the deadness they've accepted. And as God's people were empowered to set things right in a broken and sinful world. We're called to redeem and restore and forgive, put an end to, to um, alienation, 
resurrection and acts of life in us that God has always desired and intended for all creation. And so as we live out this new resurrected life with Christ, we do it by bringing about a new kind of life for people through every act of kindness, every act of love, every truth that we tell to each other, every wrong that's righted, every person that we serve, every prayer that we utter to God, every deed that's done in love, every mouth that's fed, every shelter that's provided. God's new world of joy and hope and justice was launched when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. So this Easter story, it continues to be lived out as we practice and live a resurrection life. And it continues, friends, as we, the followers of this risen king, continue to do the things he's asked to do, to love each other as he loves us, to bless this world as he has blessed us, to be the people that he's fashioned and is fashioning us to be. The message of Easter is God's new world has been, been unveiled in Jesus Christ and you're invited to be a part of it. That is the message of Easter hope. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd like to invite the band to come up and lead us in our last song as we prepare to end our service. Well, this time we'd like to welcome you to join us as we close our Easter service together.
so we're really glad that you have been here this morning and um, had a chance to hear again about this resurrection hope that God has given to all of us into the world. And, you know, there's a great promise at the very end of John chapter 20. It's verse 29, and Jesus has now appeared to Thomas, and Thomas has reached in and touched um, his nail-scarred hands and has seen for, um, for himself that Jesus has resurrected. But Jesus says this, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is the good news for us because you see today um, we weren't a part of all those appearances that took place. But every time that we see God reaching out in love into this world, we are catching a glimpse of this resurrected Christ. So today as we end the service, um, you know, it's a tradition throughout the Christian church that oftentimes we would say together, he is risen, Christ is risen and then everybody would say together, he has risen indeed. So I'm going to invite us to say that. If you want to stand up in your home, you can. Um, but just again, to let this resurrection Easter promise flow across us. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. God bless you this Easter. May you find in your life the power to do the things that you do not have the power to do yourself because of this resurrected Christ who lives in you. Amen.